Ni'ila, which is the Hebrew word that means closing. It was chosen because it imagines that the gates of heaven are closing slowly down on us. But Ni'ila, this moment, always takes place at a moment of the day called Bein Mashot. Literally, the word means between two suns because our world is ruled by two suns, by two lights. The light of the day and the light of night. We draw light from them both, and this moment between sunset and nightfall is precisely Ni'ila's time. It is a rare moment when you can hold two things at the very same time. Years ago, when I visited England, I made my way to Greenwich, where they have the International Clock Museum, but it is also that they have, that they have the International Dateline. The international day line is how you know that Paris is six hours ahead of Toronto and Vancouver is three hours behind us. It's because of Greenwich. And the tourists there line up to straddle the international date line. It's actually a piece of metal put into the ground in concrete. If you've been there, you see it. The tourists line up and people straddle it. One leg to the left, one leg to the right. And they take pictures. They put a little note at the bottom. I'm in two time zones, two places at the same time. But that's an illusion. It's man-made. This is real. This is the bridge between the sacred and the regular, between the inside and the outside. The in-betweenness of this moment is like you and me. We live between things. We are Jews, but we are Canadians. We are physical, but we are spiritual. We live in a world that is firm and stable, but we change from moment to moment and place to place. Yom Kippur is leaving, but it is still here. Thursday is nearby, but not yet here. So not let, let us yet let it go. Let us hold on to the moment. And so a few stories to help us. There's a Hasidic story about a king, and for the record, there are a lot of Hasidic stories about kings. In this one, there is a king who has a son, and they grow distant from one another. Maybe they had a fight. Maybe they never quite saw eye to eye. No one can remember anymore, but eventually the son left the palace and he moved far away. Like many Hasidic stories, this takes place before Facebook or texting. So months and years go by without him having any communication. And in time through his network, the king discovers where in fact his son was living. And he sends a messenger to bring him back from the faraway land. When the messenger arrives and meets the son, he says to him, Your father, the king, misses you. He loves you. And he said, it is time for a new start together. So please come with me and return to the palace. But the son says, no. Too much time has passed. We've grown apart. Thank you, but no thank you. I cannot go back. So the messenger returns to the king empty-handed. And he tells him what his son said. The king then tells the messenger, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to go back to my son and give him this new message. Ask him to start the journey. Tell him that if he takes so much as even one step in my direction, I'll meet him wherever he is, and we'll walk back the whole way together. In the language of the rabbis, the king is always Melech Malchayam Lachim, the king who reigns over all kings, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One. And the wayward royal family, well, that's always me and you. Just one step, we are told and the better can come to meet us. 
Ni'ilah marks the moment which is the last chance for us to recite the prayer that Yom Kippur is framed by, the vidoy, the confessional. It is the only time of the year that is recited in public. In private, it is used as a deathbed, as part of the ritual rites given to Jews. It is also not said in the singular, but if you know the Hebrew, it's always in the plural. It is saying that we share a common bond, being here, that making mistakes and breaking things and failing is a condition that is so profoundly, distinctly human. You read the list, and perhaps you say, well, you know, I did that and I did this, but I didn't do this and I didn't do that. But we're not here to play the blame game. We're here to understand ourselves. And years ago, I was studying the Peruvian poet, Pablo Neruda, when I came across what perhaps is his most famous and most cherished poem. It is called, We Are Many. In a few seconds, you'll know why. This is what Neruda wrote. Of the many who I am, whom we are, I cannot settle on a single one. They are lost to me under a cover of clothing. They have departed for another city. When everything seems to be set to show me off as a man of intelligence, the fool I keep concealed on my person takes over my talk and occupies my mouth. On another occasion, I am dozing in the midst of people of distinction when I summon up my courageous self. And then a a coward, completely unknown to me, swaddles my poor skeleton in a thousand tiny reservations. When a stately home bursts into flames, instead of a fireman I summon, an arsonist burst out onto the scene. And he is I, and there is nothing I can do. What must I do to distinguish myself? How can I put myself together? You see, none of us are ever just one thing. We're never just smart. We're also dumb. We're never just graceful, because even a dancer stumbles. We are hopeful, but we are pessimists. Yom Kippur is not asking us not to be human, not to be perfect. This day is reminding us for us to have better hearts. And now in our caffeine, caffeine-stinted heart and minds, I know you're wondering how we do that. So, one last story. As a child before Rosh Hashanah, when I was in school, Someone would always come to class, one of the teachers, with a shofar to teach us how it was blown and how it was made. The teacher doing this would also explain to us the notes, the three of them, and the traditions guarding how they would sacredly each one to be done. But one time before leaving, this one teacher shared the story with us. Now, on the surface, it's just a story about shofar blowing, but if you listen carefully, you'll see it's much more than that. The great founder of the Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, had seen the person he used to bow the chauffeur pass away, and he was left looking for a new person, and interviews were held. Each man came in with an elaborate discourse with the meaning of each note, of the thoughts and intentions the blower needed to have. They spoke about their own personal piety and the strictness of Jewish life, of the piety of their wives and children, of the great lineages of their parents and grandparents. All impressive, no question. And then when the last of the interviewees walks in, a, na- a man named Reb Tzvi. Now he also spent time learning the meanings of the notes and wrote them down on a piece of paper, which he intended to read as he blew the notes. But when he started blowing the shofar, he saw that the paper with all the little notes was missing. And he burst out into tears. 
He put the chauffeur down in the middle of the interview, and without a word, he started walking out. But the rabbi said to him, There is a palace with many rooms, each one with its own key. And no key can open up the door of another, but there is one key that can open any door. And that is the key of tears, which opens all the doors. In life, we are told that we have to give many things to be successful. But that's a lie. To have a successful life, you need to give just one thing. You need to give sincerity. We are asked to live with open hearts, to be genuine and true. To live that way, you also have to be brave. But you already are. Please turn to page 448.